0: It's Illum Group's Andrea Lay. Views Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Shree, And I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom. And I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. i be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CBG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th. And it's time for the fresh four, four curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. we brought to you through our partnership with RetailWit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news. RetailWit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Sri. In
1: case you're wondering what this background is I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media, as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization of their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding off This is set by Sara Marzano, principal analyst and e-marketer, who advertises the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that will hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea.
2: Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three
3: key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest
2: private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa.
0: Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect an in-store retail media network powered by quad graphics. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners. Throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all of the SaveMart companies' approximately 200 stores. This is SaveMart's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats partnership for alcohol delivery. Eight states, nearly a thousand Right Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailer's expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of Legal Drinking Aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote: Our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience that complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the fresh for now. On to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Raj Gapalan, Peter V.S. Bolland, and Brian Gildenberg, explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys.
2: Hello, folks, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where we explore the omnichannel digital journey of brands and retailers. I'm, of course, your co-host, Sri. Surprise, I'm recording on my own today, as this is actually from my home in Los Angeles, California, my co-host Peter Bond, partnership acceleration lead at Flywheel Digital and Brian Gildenberg, Managing Director of Retail Cities are back home and hopefully enjoying a New Jersey or New Haven pizza pie and I think Brian's actually at Iowa going to Grand Rapids like hitting up the Midwest scene. Before we get to our guest today, let me remind our audience to visit cpgguards.com on a web browser. You can find links to our podcast and all the major podcast platforms. If you're not already doing so, follow us on LinkedIn where we publish new comments and content each and every day of the week, even on weekends. Yes, that's seven days a week, Monday through Sunday. Please also subscribe to the other podcasts. Of course, you all know we have a collective now, including the FMCG Guys, CPG Scoop, and the newest addition to our family, the CPG Guys Fast Forward Thursdays, starting our very own co-host, Brian Gildenberg. We're also proud to be sponsors of NextUp, formerly Network of Executive Women, whose mission is to advance all women in business, and to promote gender equality in the workplace. If you're a female founder or do not have a sponsorship through your organization, let us know by dropping us an email at contact at cpgguys.com. Again, that email is contact at cpgguys.com, and we're happy to sponsor your membership to this elite organization. The digital liner notes of this episode contain hyperlinks to our site, the other collective podcast sites, our LinkedIn page, and our landing page on the next up site. So, here we are, main event time. Here on the CPG, guys, normally week over week, you see Walmart, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, Kroger, Nestle. Today, I'm talking to two entrepreneurs leading ventures in the entertainment industry and digital creation. Y'all know that at some point in this Raj Mahal and Shri's life, entertainment was going to feature on this show. So here we are. They're focused on multicultural creators and being Asian myself, I could not resist the opportunity to talk to both of them. This episode, therefore, I guarantee you, will engage and excite. Bing Chen is an impact founder and investor devoted to building worlds that rebalance socio-economic equity, equity that's what we just mentioned with uh, the Network of Executive Women or next up, Beginning with his career at Google in erecting the global YouTube creator influencer ecosystem, he's been lucky to witness and drive a combination of stories and systems to assert, enhance and extend billions of lives. In short, Bing's dream has always been to make everyone else's dream come true. He's the executive chairman and founder of Our Holdings, a new world builder, a family of companies that incubate and invest in multicultural creators and communities to rebalance socioeconomic equity. One of those companies, he's a co-founder, is Goldhouse. Jeremy is executive director, CEO, and co-founder too of Goldhouse, a cultural ecosystem that unites, invests in, and champions Asian-Pacific creators and companies to power tomorrow for all. Prior to joining Goldhouse, Jeremy was a counsel at O'Melveny & Myers, did I get that right? working on high stakes entertainment litigation, including the Michael Jackson wrongful debt trial. You know this is gonna come back in one of the questions. (laughs) And AT&T and Time Warner merger trial. You're on a roll here, Jeremy. Gentlemen, Jeremy Bing, welcome. How are you guys? Good to be here, Sri. Thanks
3: for having us. Thank you for having us.
2: So, so great to have you join us today. Before we get to the questions that are prepared for our conversation, would you please share with your audience a brief overview of our
3: holdings and your role there? Sure. Uh, All Holdings is a, as we mentioned, new world builder where we incubate and invest in multicultural creators and companies. Uh, We think that creators are important because they can reshape beliefs publicly, which changes how we're all talked about, treated, and so forth, particularly for marginalized communities. And then companies, of course, are important because money makes, unfortunately or fortunately, the world go round. And so to sustain positive, sort of sustained influence, uh, we think the economics, specifically through the forms of businesses, are really important. Thank you for that.
2: Jeremy, I'll ask you to do the same. Also tell us what Goldhouse is in short order.
4: Sure. Uh, Goldhouse is the largest cultural ecosystem that advances the Asian Pacific community. In practice, what that means is we focus on three functions. We unite, we invest in, and we promote Asian Pacific creators and companies. So all of our programs fit under those three functions, and we're happy to share more about that.
2: Now, I've been waiting for this moment, y'all, because being Asian myself, It's not every day that I get to meet somebody who's actually promoting creators. That too in the Asian Pacific heritage community. You already know that I was the founder and leader for the PepsiCo's Asian network, the employee resource group there. But in that journey, I never came across somebody actually championing the Asian angle of creation. So I can't wait to get started. So we'll of course include links to your LinkedIn profiles, the corporate website for both our as well as for Goldhouse in the digital line and of this podcast. Why we do that is so that the 90 plus percent of people listen to this episode on their mobile device with one single click. They can head right over and see what this is all about. So let me kick it off for the first question. And Bing, I'm going to ask you the first one. Upen, Google, YouTube. These are all elite brands and any things that you've actually touched. Not according to my mother. Tell no, me. No, according to my mother, CPG guys is just people chatting. It so, uh, uh, all, all sounds right. And uh, how did that result in our holdings being formed? And what is your advice to others who are budding, also working for companies like that, maybe touching big brands? I know I've certainly done that. You've done that. What would you tell those folks? And
3: I think uh, the last question is easier to articulate, but harder to surmount. So I I unfortunately watched my father pass away when I was 15. And I think uh, when you see sort of have such close proximity to death, especially in a formative year, it forces you to reconcile why you're here or your own meaning of life. And so I realized very early on, hopefully one has enough means to be able to make this decision. But assuming one does, which we luckily did back then as a middle class family then I had the responsibility of figuring out why am I here and how can I get there as quickly as possible. And so I figured out that my passion or meaning of life or purpose was to make everyone's dreams come true at a systemic, practical level. So if you're a musician named Ria Raj, how can we help you get to the top of the Billboard charts faster? If you're a founder who has dreams of creating the next great Sichuan chili crisp, how can we get you on every shelf and Whole Foods all the way to the digital shelves of Amazon very quickly? Um, And so my model or my icon for who I thought manifested that the most effectively culturally was, of course, Walt Disney, who changes minds, who changes hearts, who changes commerce and changes industries all around the world for now a century. And so um, the impetus for studying at UPenn and majoring in creative writing. Wait, wait, wait. All this came to you at age 15? 10. 10
4: aged them.
3: yeah obviously the the layers don't sort of manifest until later but you know when you're young you have like a heuristic i like disney and then when you're older there are other of course elements but that was why upen uh all the alumni from UPenn who are active in hollywood the chairman of disney studios rich ross ceo of dreamworks stacy snyder were all creative writing majors um, I luckily chose YouTube and was admitted during the highly recession at Google because I thought YouTube was the 21st century articulation of the media conglomerate, uh, where we take this for granted now. But democratization of creation and distribution of content seemed to be a compelling promise. And, of course, through that, we built what is now known as the $100 billion creative economy um, or creator economy. I did not know it's $100 billion, but that's a big billion. number. Yeah, $100 billion. It started at. Uh, Started out a lot less than that. It was uh, effectively an eight-figure business over at YouTube Partner Program. Became a multiple billion-dollar business by the time I left, when we ballooned it to 42 countries. Uh, and now, of course, there's all sorts of other platforms, you know, Twitch all the way to OnlyFans. So Wait, eight
2: figures friends. is only 10 million. So the story it started as 10 million start A Couple, yeah. And then you get to billion. That's a whole lot more zeros. Like a hundred x, 1000 x. Yes. Uh, 1,
3: Yeah, so this happened when, uh, we can go as much detail as you want on this, but uh, basically when I was 24, we realized we had this amazing offer called the Partner Program that enabled anyone to be able to monetize their channel. Um, This seems so obvious nowadays, but in 2010, this is... This is sort of wild, wild, wild. Mean, People thought we were trash. Influencer is a trash. way of life now. Is a way of life. And so we realized in, in 2011, we thought, okay, we need to standardize this and look at it like Hollywood looks at it. So I changed the word from partners, YouTube partners, to YouTube creators, uh, which is now the lexicon of the industry. Our brand sales team standardized what is now known as influencer marketing. We created vain things like, if you've ever seen a gold play button, I basically stole and adapted the gold record from the music industry. No kidding. Um, yeah, yeah. So we did all this, and then the big thing that ballooned the business to multiple nine figure and then by the time I left ten figure business was the globalization of the partner program or the wrapping around all this.
2: You talked about my daughter Ria uh, do you realize that we had their, to. Yeah. their generation yeah. won't even know that you were part of the founding yeah. ecosystem of <laughs> many of these
3: words like digital creator. It's just a word. It's just know? a word now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's the this is this is gonna be really morbid and sad. Um, And to paraphrase someone who's not Asian, but uh, I remember reading something that Mark Twain once wrote that said the first half of your life is spent building and amassing and amassing wealth, fame, great family and so forth. And the second half of your life is spent giving it all away. And so, So yeah, we often will plant flowers. We rarely see bloom. So I'm at peace with that. I know what I did. Enough people in our industry know what we did together. Wait, wait, um, wait. Neither of you are in the second half of your life, so... Okay.
1: <laughs> There's only one person here in the second We're half jinxing of ourselves. his
3: in life. Or yeah. ourselves. Who knows? Who knows? It depends on the definition of death. But, but you're anyway. right,
2: though, because what I tell people now, I'm on stage a lot. I'm yes. in the industry a lot, and when yes. people ask me, Sri, what are you working towards? The first thing that comes to my mind, what I ask other people is, you know, if you've made it in life and you have amassed a certain lifestyle you have to send the elevator down so others can take it back up with you so you're so right
3: and it's so but it's so hard especially at your level because one sometimes you just because of politics bureaucracy just other considerations including race sometimes you just have to narrowly focus on the commercial bottom line you also just don't have time to send the elevator down simultaneously but exactly to your point because there's so few of you three we have to have any responsibility and also not to pick on your daughter but her entire and our entire generation now expect both at once from our leaders so uh, it's great that you've done that um, anyway and because I wanted to be Disney I decided to go build my own Disney and so now I have my own Disney um, but, wait uh, y'all, y'all he just casually said I want to go build my own Disney so today is not exactly what that means there. So the idea is, um, this might be overly pedantic, but I see the five to six different divisions of Disney effectively as a bifurcated structure. So on one side you have stories, the other side you have systems. Stories you have original IP, so these are the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars and so forth. Um, I have my own version of that going out next year. And then you also have the studios or production ability. So I was lucky to co-found with Nini and Bon Jovi, Kevin Lin of Twitch and many others, uh, a film production fund known as ALM. We focus on multicultural filmmakers. Nina is the queen of Sundance Film Festival. Um, She has an amazing eight for eight debut at the film festival, launched the film careers of Ryan Coogler, Chloe Zhao, and just the most iconic multicultural filmmaker names that the world now knows. Um, so we're very lucky to be able to support her. Um, gold House is another one of my sort of key or sort of, I guess, dominant passions, I should say. And Jeremy will share more, but um, the original impetus of Gold House was effectively, how do we make the world smaller and give more opportunities to more people, beginning with the world's majority and the fastest growing population domestically. And that is, of course, our gold or Asian diaspora.
2: That's awesome. And then what advice would you give for somebody else starting out on that journey they work for large brands. You touch YouTube, Google. I mean, you may feel back then they weren't big brands, but Google and YouTube had a vision. Sergey and Larry had a vision. Yes. What advice would you give somebody who's in the middle of that journey, they're 30 years old, 10 years in their yeah. career, and they're like, I want to do my
3: own thing. Yeah, I'd say one, don't succumb or be seduced by all these romanticized notions of entrepreneurship where someone quits their job abruptly, they go sleep on their friend's couch, they, they buy a Prius, you know, all, all this sort of all this sort of, you know, damn. Uh, I was going to, you know, I'm so that. sorry. few I, <laughs>
2: I, 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 <laughs> out, it wasn't going to be a Prius. It was going to be a Lamborghini. Of <laughs> <laughs> it
3: looks like we're going to Tesla. There it is. There it is. Tesla's yeah. okay. As long as the Model 3. Um, but um, no, I, I think what people need to remember is most entrepreneurs, most successful entrepreneurs had a backup plan and unfortunately were actually at least middle class. And so the first step is making sure you have the financial means and give yourself a deadline to make this actually viable. So give yourself 12 months of runway from savings. Give yourself 18, 24 months. That's number one. The second is once you have that. Very good advice. Yeah. Don't don't be seduced by romanticism. It is all a lie. Uh, most of us have backup plans. My backup plan is going back to Google, the best company in the world, theoretically. So number two is to figure out why you were put on this earth and find out why you are uniquely qualified to deliver it to the world. Uh, And the second part part is tricky because we confuse what we like with what we should make a career out of. Hobby equals career. That's first mistake. Second mistake is career is what we're good at. Third is what we're good at with what we are best at. And these all have to line up because starting a company is one of the hardest things in the world next to being a creative. So that would be number two. And then third is, of course, having a timed map instead of resource to actually get there.
2: Well said. I mean, those are very clear and kind of like almost like a mini playbook. So Jeremy, where do you meet this guy who says, I want to build my own Disney? <laughs> you're playing an extra role, not just as a co-founder of Goldhouse, but you're also playing a role as a CEO. So how did, in your own career journey, you went to law school. You were right. an attorney actually practicing. Earlier in the show, we introduced you as the Michael Jackson attorney trial lawyer, and part of that team, as well as a Time Warner thing from years ago, I remember, I actually remember both those moments. I won't date myself, but I remember him pretty well. I was much older than you at that point. How do you go from that to co-founding Gold House with a guy who says, I want to start my own Disney, and uh, just take us through your career, your life, and how you got here, and how you're now CEO at Goldhouse.
4: Yeah, my story starts with, I would say, when I first met Bing. We were 16 years old at a thing called Boys State in California, and I was, um, blown away by his energy. And when I said he's a precocious kid, I didn't know him when he was 10, but at 16 already kind of understood that this is a person to watch and this is a person to support. Uh, we became best friends after Boys State. Uh, we both went to school on the East Coast. He was at Penn. I was at Harvard. Jeremy went to better school. <laughs> I don't know about that. Does
2: your mom agree? That's what. That's your <laughs> it best. It doesn't get higher than number My one. Mom <laughs> so you got the number one. So that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. <laughs> fine you know? Not Not middle class. Middle class. Penn was <laughs> way
4: more fun. I would go to Penn. I would come visit him for the parties. That's right? true. It's very different You're from Harvard parties. And I, you know, we had just had vastly different career paths because he was always this, this big visionary guy willing to take the risks. I was much more traditional. Um, I think a lot of people with immigrant parents would understand that like, you take that career path that is safe, that is secure, that is what your parents came to. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's you.
2: just an immigrant thing. I think it's immigrant and Asian, the intersection. I yeah. feel that like myself, right? I came here to this country. My parents weren't even here. But the safety route that you mentioned, that was inculcated in my head.
4: It is because they, for so many people who came here, they had to traverse so many difficulties, right? my My parents left Vietnam right after the war. they're refugees. You know, they 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 smuggled other country in a boat um, for seven days before they got to Malaysia. So coming here, all they wanted was security for us, you know, financial security. Yep. Um, so I understood that. And all I did was work my butt off to to get to the best school I can get to, to go to the best college I could to get the best career I could that was stable. So that was my trajectory for as long as I knew. Um, and after college, went to law school because it seemed like a safe path. Um, I stayed at Harvard, just kind of moved down the street and was focused on going back to eventually go to LA to practice in whatever it is that gave me that security I needed. So I ended up at a firm that practiced mostly in entertainment litigation uh, in the office that I worked in. Um, and got the tremendous opportunity to work on some really, really cool trial cases in my career from day one all the way until I left about seven years into the firm. And for me, I think outside looking in, a lot of my classmates in law school would look at me and say, you know, you're, you're getting to work on these cases that make headlines, that everyone's watching, that for most people could be career defining. Um, how does that feel? When I was confronted with that question, I think, it didn't feel fulfilling. Yes, I had the secure paycheck, um, eventually paid off my school loans, made sure my parents were in a good place as well. Um, But at the end of the day, I wasn't excited to wake up to go to work every day. Um, So what Bing was saying earlier about like, you know, your passion, your hobby, but also what your skill set is, yes, there are a lot of parts of being a lawyer I enjoyed, but there were also gifts that I think I had that I wasn't able to give to my community, to the world, being at that traditional law firm.
2: So I have to ask you, how was Goldhouse founded?
4: Yeah. Uh, so I... How would you even
2: get the name Goldhouse?
4: <laughs> Bing should tell a story about the Goldhouse. You yeah. want to hear it? Um, and then...
3: I'll tell the quick story yeah. and you should tell how it was yep. built. Yeah. 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 So Goldhouse comes from several different places. Number one is if you Google Asian, Asian-American, Asian diaspora, typically the first two adjectives used to describe our community are cheap and weak. These are both, of course, pejorative adjectives. And so one is we wanted to immediately dislocate the misperception that we are cheap and indicate that we are actually worthy and of quality. Gold is not only something that all of our ethnicities harbor throughout history and value, but it's something that is universally prized. So that's number one. The second is is there's historically immense fragmentation within our diaspora. So when you look at a lot of Asian organizations, it's all East Asian men, old East Asian men in real estate and finance. Where are the South Asians? Where are the Southeast Asians? Where are the Pacific community? Where are the Saudis? Where are the Iranians? So forth. And where are the Persians? So forth and so on. And so we wanted a color that encapsulated all of us, especially because of multiracial identities and so forth. And gold is basically a combination of brown, yellow, black, white, etc. All the sort of incredible faculties that we have and then third from a branding perspective and i know you'll appreciate this um uh, with with your day job is we needed something young and something that just felt aspirational and sexier every other organization was called something organization and that just was not the culture we were going for. And then finally, speaking of culture, we realized that the fundamental reason that our diaspora did not have a culture analogous to the African diaspora or the Israeli diaspora, where there's immense, immense collaboration, was because none of us support each other. And so what better place to start than in the home or the house, where you feel safe, where you can collaborate and so forth. Because that's why it's called Gold House.
0: So sound. Gold House,
1: very clear, right? Um,
2: now, if you can tell us, what is Gold House? Yeah. And then I did my own research on the internet. Obviously it's a venture, but it's much more than a venture. There's a creator side. Talk to us about what is Gold House. How did y'all start it up? We got the name. We now understand how the name came by because it represents Asians, period, from all over the entire continent of Asia. But how'd you guys start it up? And then talk to us about the creator side. The question- Which, by the way, y'all have been generous enough to feature my daughter Ria Raj and uh, normally at the top of the show I'd say, you know, listen to my daughter's music, www.riaraj.com. I waited for this moment to say it because you'll actually feature her on the billboard on Times Square. That's very generous. So tell us about the creative side.
4: Well, first of all, she's so talented, so it was our pleasure to feature her. Um, So we started Gold House to kind of answer the question that being said, how do we create what we call now an ecosystem where leaders from across different industries across different communities within our diaspora can come together to support each other you know in many ways we envied what i think other communities were able to establish
2: i couldn't agree more with you right especially as a diverse community person of color i waited for this moment to hear another fellow asian say that
4: thank you yeah and and it makes sense you know we're five billion people in the world yep. dozens yeah dozens of different ethnicities languages lots of thousands of dialects yeah, yes. exactly.
2: two-thirds of the world's population that's right without a voice in the united states exactly
4: that's right. exactly so how do we harness that power and support each other to elevate um, our community that was the question we were trying to answer um, and through that we realized that there are still really important causes that whether you're an Iranian American, a Vietnamese American, a Japanese American, you can all understand. So one is around media representation, right? We all knew what it felt like not to be seen, not to be represented accurately in an affirming way. Um, And in many ways, the timing just worked out well. Where Crazy Rich Asians was coming out in 2018, um, and we knew John M. Chu and several other castmates as well, and knew that the moment and the success of Crazy Rich Asians far exceeded just entertainment. Right, and if this film did well, the trickle effect of its impact will touch on. And boy, did it else. do well, or what? Yes, so. yes, it became the highest-grossing rom-com in over a decade. Right, so we use that, I think, in many ways as a as a rallying cry to bring our community together, to bring people from finance, from tech, from fashion, who may not be necessarily embedded in entertainment, but understood the value of the success of this film, to leverage their resources and their power and their community and network to ensure the success of the film. And that in many ways was the seed that sparked Goldhouse.
2: Got it. And so that's how Goldhouse gets incubated. And then talk to us about the creator community that you're working with now who are part of that creator community? Are they national? Are they global? How do you find somebody that comes and joins?
4: Yeah, so we started with, in many ways, marketing a film, right? And helping to ensure that the grassroots momentum and the community would rally behind a film um, and then worked way backwards in many ways. So now we work with every major studio and streamer from as early as ideation, scripting, casting, to ensure that from day- so it's
2: various archetypes.
4: Exactly, from day one that a story is told correctly in an affirming way. Um, so in terms of the different creators, both those in front of the camera as well as behind the camera that we work with, I would say it runs the full gamut. Um, we have established creators that are part of our membership. So you're thinking A-list actors and writers, um, C-suite executives as studios, To emerging creators who are trying to break it into the industry, those who show the most promise, who need both the mentorship and the resources and the promotion and exposure and the hard capital invested into their career to show that they can, too, break through the mainstream. And how
2: do they reach you if they have a vision and an idea, almost like a venture pitch, but how do they do that?
4: Yeah, so a variety of ways. I would say in terms of the youngest creators, you know, I think the easiest thing to think about is our various programs we have focused on them. Um, so one is bringing the community together. You know, Go to our events, show up, network, meet the people who are in the room, who are established, who can provide you the resources, and in many ways, the expertise and mentorship you need. Secondly, apply for the different programs we have available, like what Ria did, right? So we're able to work with some of the leading companies in the industry because there are passionate executives who've made it in these companies, who want to be able to leverage their resources to invest in those who come from their community. So the Music Accelerator, for example, working with Spotify and with AEG, um, you know, the two biggest platforms in many ways in this space and saying what resources do you have, both mentorship, hard capital, promotions, to help us find the next big artist. So just a look for those opportunities, I would say, apply for them and come out to support our events and then you'll, you'll meet the people who will elevate your career.
2: So um, here in November every year we do Women's Month on the CPG Guys, why do we pick November? are probably familiar with its breast cancer awareness month and Susan mm. G. Komen. I'm now on the board of next up which is gender equality. I am uh, championing female executives and their growth and development, but I waited for a moment to find my peeps to actually have <laughs> Asian Pacific Heritage Month on the CPG guys. So guys, are we doing it next May or what on the CPG guys? Yes, so a yes. feature asians APHM on the cpg guys all month long it's not all of the cpg leaders yeah looking forward to so all that you have in your network want to feature let us know we so we can that. have an asian month on the cpg guys next May. i can't wait actually i wish eight months flew by and so bing gold house is more than just creators your brands talk to us about that piece of the venture and give us an overview of what kind of brands you have yeah and then if a asian with a brand idea wants to pitch is incubating something same similarly how do they get in
3: touch easy so um to take a step back the reason we focus on brands and creators or creators and companies is again to reshape both the socio and economic side of equity that we all want Uh, on the brand side there are two profiles one are established brands and leaders like you and they provide incredible resources, business development opportunities, mentorship, capital investment. They serve as board directors and advisors to the next great companies. So that's number one. It's not just paying it forward, but also increasing their liquidity as well as candidly their stature within industry because many of these companies are gonna go all the way. The second focus are founders. So to take a step back as to why, the Asian diaspora is actually the least likely demographic to be promoted to management of any group in this country according to Harvard Business Review. Asian women in particular are the least likely. No,
2: no debate. I see it go. all around me in yes. the industry that I work in in retail and yes. CPG. And I, you surmounted it. I rarely of course. see A you. an Asian woman in leadership. Yes. Indra yeah. Nui was an exception at Practical.
3: Yes. yes. But I, exactly.
2: I actually my naive head is not even able to pick another name at this yeah. moment.
3: So there are two ways to sort of surmount this in addition to being Sri Raj. One way is to work decades effectively to get to the c or boards right, of existing companies. There are others who are doing really great work there, Ascend, Ace, and so forth. And as Goalhouse, we always want to be collaborative, supportive of existing great work. The second way that we think is actually faster is to found our own businesses. Because if you found your own business, usually the life cycle is 7 to 10 years for an exit. And so within 7 to 10 years, we can diversify C-suites and boards because we control them. Further, yeah, and further, we come from a place of power, not victimization. If you look at um, the diversity of founders and funders, for some reason, our diaspora is exceptional in this space. So I'll give you stats. 48% of the Forbes Midas list this year was Asian. The majority of them are in Goldhouse. The majority of them are LPs. For some reason... We are half of the top funders, period, of VCs, of VC-backed companies. Uh, on the founding side, 42%, 42% of the companies that have ipo in the last year and a half, since January 2022, on this continent have an Asian co-founder. I'm not surprised on that one. We are, we're yeah. for some, but no one knows this broadly, right? You know because you've been in it and you have this identity, but for some reason, the world needs to know we are exceptional founders and funders, which means we are exceptional leaders and tastemakers. And so to that end, we have for the emerging founders, the largest top Asian Pacific founder network on this continent, the definitive founder accelerator. They colloquially call us the Y Combinator of Asians. Funny enough, Gary Tan, the CEO of Y Combinator, is also our advisor uh, and also Goldhouse. But the companies in only three years have collectively raised over $700 million in follow-on capital, incredibly well-performing, accelerated by any calibration, and we also have the asian pacific and only formal fund focused on asians again on this continent 30 million dollars early stage the 99 investors are a who's who of the most aspirational asian founders from the last decade as Got well it. as several celebrities um, just to give you examples this founder ceo of doordash to youtube to twitch all the way to padma lakshmi so really really broad there and the entire goal there is how do we again change the face and the ceilings and the impact of the next generation of leaders so that's, yeah,
4: that's effectively that. And can then, you, go ahead. I just wanted to add that what's also, I would say, unique to Goldhouse in some ways is that we sit at this intersection between creators and companies because there's so many synergies you can think about that if you sit in just one component of this ecosystem, you may not necessarily see. So to give some concrete examples, you know, working with uh, Disney, for example, on Shang-Chi, or on Ryan the Last Dragon. If they're looking for a CPG company to work with that is going to be reflective of the story, why not work with an Asian-founded company? Great, you know we're, we can consult. Both exactly, we can consult in the story, and we know some great companies that would be the perfect brand to work with.
3: Let's go further there. So uh, to be entirely self-serving, um, though 100% of our fund profits go back to the nonprofit. So maybe not self-serving. Self-serving for the community. Um, the example that Jeremy's invoking is a sparkling water brand founded by a Filipino founder. What's his name? Sanzo. Sparkling water. Let's uh, spell it
2: first, please. S-A-N-Z-O. S-A-N-Z-O. Correct. Uh, S-A-N-Z-O
3: Sparkling Water for those right. in the audience wanting to try it. Correct. And it's uh, Asian infused flavor. So it's Yuzu, um, got you know, it. passion fruit and so forth. And so the example Jeremy's invoking is we successfully got him into both of these films. Everyone wins because it's an authentic integration. He gets not only association with the biggest film franchises in the world, which can be company brand defining, but also gets multiple six and latter case seven and potentially one day eight figures of paid marketing spent. So all incentives are aligned on this, right? No, I'll take a self-serving moment. So years
2: later, when my corporate career is done, I launched a skincare brand. Am I coming to Goldhouse? Yeah. Of, so, so you oh. asked
3: earlier, how can someone get involved? You email us at investments at goldhouse.org. Yeah. We look at everything. That easy. Easy, that easy, easy. Is. The All other right. thing I have to mention, because you're such an advocate of, of gender equity as well, and, and we are our mother sons, um, 51% of the founders that we have invested in and in our portfolios from our founder network and beyond since day one or since day zero are women. Bravo. Because this is the way the world Bravo. is. Women are 51.5% of the world. They yep. should be 51.5% of our leadership, of our membership, of our portfolio. We have absolutely put our actual money and so forth where our mouths are.
2: So right. you gave one example of a brand. Is there any others? Like, I, I thought that was Especially a skincare CBT. brand.
3: We have so many skincare. So go there's there's Glow Recipe, which we really love. There's SoCo Glam as well. The other one, just to take it back to food, it's probably because of her day job and because we're really proud of her, is um. have you tried Fly by Jing? Sichuan no, chili- but now I will again fly by Jing. Jing, J-I-N-G. So she's actually, A, she's a force of nature of a founder. Is it national, regional? National, for sure. She's all over Whole Foods. One of my favorite sayings is that um, salsa outsells ketchup, but now Sichuan chili crisp outsells salsa. So an Asian woman actually has the highest selling spice at some point in Amazon last year for six months at Whole Foods, etc. It is an amazing chili crisp. Worn chili crisp. Sichuan chili crisp, Cris. yes, exactly, from the Sichuan it province. It's incredible. I wish I
2: knew we could have tried some on the show. We should have, we should have
3: brought some. We'll have her send some to you. But we're just proud of her because, A, she sources all of her ingredients locally from China, so it feels a little authentic there. B, it's delicious. It's so good. And then, C, if you look at her branding, she gives, I can't curse on the show, but it's a, it's a very singular brand, I'll put it that way. She has multiple middle fingers up to all sort of old incumbents. There are all these people who had chastised her for being an outspoken woman, completely settled them down on the internet. And so she just represents so much of not just what a strong female founder or a CPG founder California is. California based? She's California based, that's right. California and New York based, yes. Gotcha. Um, but just what the next generation business should look like. Um, so we're really, really proud of Jing on that.
2: Let me remind our audience that we're speaking with Bing Chen, executive chairman and founder of our holdings and Jeremy Tran, CEO and co-founder at Goldhouse. You, of course, Bing, are also a co-founder at Goldhouse. I never
3: asked you how you got the word OW. What does that mean? Uh, so for some reason everything I like is gold I think I'm just trying to regain I mean so do you guys so <laughs> I think everyone does um, but yeah all the companies I have privilege of supporting have gold in some way so awe uh, is AU of course the periodic symbol for gold but it's pronounced oh you're right yeah but it's yeah. pronounced awe high school chemistry, chemistry class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it's been a long time, a long time. But I, somebody it,
2: cut the chemistry class That's
3: got really <laughs> it's <mean>. all good <laughs> honestly so do we it's all good uh, English majors okay um, or brand guys um, but um, no I say shock and awe or it's pronounced awe like shock and awe because I think awe are wonder is our our species single greatest definitive trait it's just that we question and are curious and that curiosity begets us and creates things like getting us on the moon or creating great food brands um or building incredible movements and collectives across oceans so
2: so i'm, I'm going to ask you the next question yeah. jeremy and i'm going to answer it in my own head because uh the question is asians and entertainment very scaled outside the united states China, Korea, Japan, Bollywood, these are the four that come These are entertainment industries like everything from K-pop, the Chinese music industry local in China, Japanese, movies. These are all, the numbers are insane how large these are, but unrepresented. I don't even want to say underrepresented, unrepresented period in any form of entertainment in the USA. Why is that the case? And then I tell my head, if I flashback five years. I remember having the conversation with my own daughter who's a musician. We've talked about Rhea multiple times. You have to go to college, just like your mom's told you because I was also told the same thing. It wasn't just college. We lived in New York and if you want to live in around New York, it must be NYU. And sure enough, Rhea hustled away by working internship for Professor Scott Galloway, who you might know from Mm -hmm. Stern. And um, now I'm thinking back, I mean, why did I, right? If you, if creative and entrepreneurship in your mind, that's where you should flourish, you should do, you should seek your ambition. If nothing else fails, there's always alternatives, like you said, a plan B. But in your mind, Jeremy, why are Asians unrepresented in the entertainment industry?
4: I'm going to break this question into two parts. So one, I think, is Asian content from uh, Asia itself, the continent. Um, and for so long, the U.S. has exported... Uh, entertainment, I think 80% of the entertainment consumed worldwide was from the US for many decades. Um, and only in the last you know five, ten years or so have we started to see more and more content from Asia penetrate mainstream US audiences. Squid game is a good example right It became the highest one heck of a show you yeah. brought up there. <laughs> one heck of Try a, show. a
2: lawyer I can see that in you. I want to sing the haunting song, but go on. Do <laughs> <laughs> you guys know what the haunting song is? It's, the it's not
4: red light, green light. Yeah, done, sing it in yeah, Korean. Done, done,
3: done, yeah.
4: uh, <laughs> but go ahead. Um, yeah, so so, so for so long, I think, the U.S. was hesitant to import culture, import content from, from the Asian content and from other continents as well. Um, but the advent of streaming, allowed that content to proliferate in ways that it may not have had and for streamers to take the risk I think of say sure we'll distribute Squid Game we have no idea how well it'll do but let's give it a try and then when it suddenly becomes this viral thing and becomes the highest streamed show ever right it, people are now looking and realizing that content from from other countries as long as it's good will do well good content is good content so that's one area where i'm finally seeing more and more progress and more and more investment Both in said. that type of that content and the second part of the question um i'd like to talk about is asian american culture asian american entertainment which is a little different right so people who grew up in the u.s and Shri, i think you hit it on the head where you said yes we grew up for many of us not thinking creative industries was a possibility Right. It's 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 go down the traditional path, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer, go to See, college. There are yeah. other
2: words that come to mind. Respect for authority. Don't question the system. Exactly. obey. I'm, a lot of those were said to me as well by my parents. And for the most part in my life, I have followed those.
4: Yeah. And, and it's um, you don't want to rock the boat. Right? Like don't rock the you're boat. You're so lucky to be here in many ways is the, the mentality you have that you're supposed to just put your head yeah, down, work hard. Say. And you know contribute to society by being yeah. a working member. But to be creative, to flex that muscle, was something I think so many of us were afraid to do. Um, but now we're starting to see more and more people penetrate that market and be really successful at it, right? I can't imagine the number of young kids watching Parasite, watching everything everywhere all at once, and saying, "Look, mom, like somebody like that can make it." When Ki Kwon won the Oscar and was on stage and gave that speech, the first person I called was my mom, right? Similar story. What was the reaction? Um, well, I cried.
2: Uh, but she, she... Well, I think a lot of us <laughs> cried, but well, yeah. I'm just curious, what was the reaction?
4: She didn't fully understand, to be honest, like, what does this mean, like, that he won an Oscar? So, like, so that's like the biggest acting award, right? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, someone like him, who shared a story like her, who, you know, left Vietnam during the war on a boat and made it to the U.S. to be able to be on the world's biggest stage and to hold up that trophy and say this is not just for me but for everyone who looked like me and dared to dream like me was something she didn't fully grasp um, because she unlike he came to the united states and said let me just take the first paying job i can find right let me make sure there's food on the table there's a shelter over my head and not dare to dream beyond that but everything she did was so that i could dream beyond that um so for for us it was a very moving moment but and i think younger kids now seeing that are so inspired and willing to think outside of the four corners of what we define as success for so long.
2: Fully understood. The most important question of the day, is Squid Game's going to have a season two?
3: Oh yeah, Yeah. confirmed. They already (laughs) announced the lead cast. It'll be great.
2: Yeah. Are we getting any repeats?
3: Uh, There are a couple.
2: We just dropped major announcement Uh, here on the uh, CPG guys. There's going to be uh, a Squid uh, Game season two. How about (laughs) that? Hey, jokes apart. When you want to bring someone into the Goldhouse network and you invest in them, what tells you? Because I'm sure to the email address you gave investments at goldhouse.com, you get many applicants, many Asians applying or other people applying. What's the magic and how do you say, I know that I want to behind this person what do you look for
3: yeah so the, the i'll give you the broad disclaimer and i'll give you the four point criteria so the broad disclaimer is that of course depends if it's a creator or a company on the company side depends on sector it depends on stage and all that um so all even, the standard even then being
2: people may adhere to uh let's say numbers you look at numbers you look at reasonable success startup success and numbers wise many stories might be yeah we see something out there that is a spark is there a magic you look for in a human
3: there, there are four actually, and the magic is they need all four. Okay. Right? Because most companies only have the first. Okay. And I think that's one of the things that sets apart our investments versus others, especially I think on the creative side. Um, so the first, which is going to be an unpopular answer, is commercial viability. Uh, Say more. Money is unpopular. Money is what makes the world go round. If we can't pay the bills, if we can't hire top talent, we can't go all the way. We can't IPO and so forth. We can't end up, you know, at the top of the Billboard charts. So someone has to be commercially viable or have at least a path to that. The second is culturally imperative. They need to represent something that is not I only,
2: only... go back to um, the commercial viability. So commercial viability, the definition in that case is, look, either today or tomorrow, they're going to scale at some point, and they're going to monetize that ability to scale, and it pays
3: back into the fund. Is correct. that reasonable? Correct, correct. Okay, and so that's number one? That's right, that's right. Uh, and pays back to the world. And right you ahead.
2: actually said a lot come with number one.
3: 100%. Um, I mean, it's everything from run rate to attrition to, you know, how expensive is their CAC. It's all of the usual stuff. I, th- I think we experienced this less, to be honest. But I think in the early days, people thought we were just a charity case because we're a nonprofit. But the reality is gotcha. if we're just handing out money, we will at some point lose money. Of and course. we need to make yeah. sure this is a movement and a, an ecosystem. Well, then, that's then the sensory. nonprofit won't
2: exist. Exactly not right. not serving
3: anybody. That's exactly right. Yeah. And then we also have this theory called uh, equitable excellence, which the idea is, The reason we invest in the best creators or the most promising companies and so forth is because the best films are seen by the most people. They win the most awards. The best companies can hire the most people. And our priority is scaled impact. And so we think about excellence in a slightly different way than I think others, which we call it equitable excellence. So anyway, so the number one is commercial viability. Second is cultural imperative. Yep. Are they actively dismantling something that is most pernicious in our community?
1: Like a bias or a roadblock exactly. or a glass ceiling.
3: That Asians can't be strong, they yep. can't be yep. leaders, that I women see a lot are justified. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So that's number two. Third is critical acclaim. It has to be excellent. It has to be quality-wise, very high. One of our How do you know, especially on the creative side? How do you know? Question. So creative side, it's it's almost like a lo- uh, how do you say? It's a chicken or egg. So we were really proud to actually be the first company to not only view everything ever all at once, but debut it publicly and award Michelle Yo. Long ahead of her award season. So in that case, we were the tastemaker because we have to trust our instincts and taste. This is based on partial data, right? Just on what we mine and viewership and how that sort of the margin is sort of higher than what is normal. It's also partly based on expertise. We're in it. We live it day to day. We have our pulse on the ground. That is our job. And part of it's also just luck. You know, we don't hit it out of the park every single time. We do hit it park most of the time, but not every single time. And so um, on the critical claim, sometimes we just have to taste make. Other times, yep. especially in mm-hmm. the company, we can see, or, or another piece of content, we can see what the track record of the creator is, right? So we know, and sometimes past success is an indication of future
2: success. So let's play out what, what you did for Asian Pacific Heritage Month this year. You didn't just feature here, you had three artists. The three artists then got to do a showcase here in Los Angeles. Yes, with Asia. So did you track them? Did you look at their numbers? Like What, what went into that? How did you know it was
3: those three? Yeah, so the answer is absolutely yes. So it's number one, seeing, um, uh, how do you say, what categories they represented, because we want to make sure that was diverse. Also identity-wise, which is a a secondary layer that's not always concentric with category, how they're also diverse, which you saw, they're very diverse there. Next was absolutely how they were tracking. We don't just care that someone is rising, we care that they are rising disproportionately high to their peer set. Got it, exponential. Exactly, and they don't have to have made it and popped off and broken, as the music industry would say yet, but they do have to demonstrate some marginally exceptional prowess. And then finally, outside of just our own data and our own expertise, we always convene a platform. This is part of the ecosystem of actual experts. So it, like the CEO, the president, excuse me, of Warner Music, Eric Wong is part of Goldhouse, CFO of Universal, so and they will Leaves. advise you? Exactly. Mike Van, the president of Billboard, part of Goldhouse. And so they also advise and help the states make because their job too is also to know the broader industry, not just our community.
1: So do you get
2: personally, Jeremy, engaged, uh, listening to creators and do you actually see their pictures yourself when you try to make decisions are you actually engaged in the process
4: yeah for many creators who come to us you know we meet with them one-on-one whether it's me or someone from our larger team to learn more about their story the background because so much of the magic of creating something is based on the magic of the person right so being able to meet them talk to them hear their story from them firsthand is critical because that's when you can really understand whether or not you believe in this project so when we met Key, um, gosh, when we met Key in the late summer before *Everything, Everywhere, All at Once* came out, I was immediately drawn not only to him, but to Stephanie, to to the to, to Daniels, to Jonathan, the producer, and this was just a not only a magical film, but a magical team. Um, And we knew we had to do everything we could because we believed in the project and believed in the people, right? So so I think it's critical for us to understand who's behind the story as well. Um, And there are stories sometimes we watch that we think are good and we meet people like, you know, maybe, maybe you're maybe not the right fit for us. And maybe and so tell <laughs> me,
2: how do you close those out? Because someone's walking away with disappointment. It can't be easy.
3: Wait, let's go further on that, too. Is so on the people side, the Daniels and Jonathan Wong, who are the director, writer, directors and producers of everything ever all wants, are not just singular talents. We saw the film. We thought this is one of the best films we've ever seen. But they are incredibly good men. They're just good human beings. And. That shows, and it takes off, and so their career took off. Now, how do we close these conversations? So it's really important as an ecosystem to be inclusive of everyone. They just may not be able to provide everything to everyone at once. We'll put it that way. So not everyone should be on Times Square Billboard. Not everyone should get editorial promise and featuring by Spotify. Not everyone should get a million-dollar check from us, but they should still be in the family. So as long as they hit a threshold, which admittedly is a quality threshold, as it should be, As long as they hit that, we welcome them to a network called Futures. It's the single largest network of the most promising Asian-Pacific creators. That's Goldhouse Futures? Correct. Got it. Fashion designers, musicians, filmmakers, and founders, so they can all meet each other and cross-pollinate. Because it's cool if you're 50 cent doing a vitamin water deal, Sure. but it's cooler if you're younger 50 cent Finding Sanzo, and you both come out together. Absolutely. So
2: I assume yeah. you do a lot of networking events for them. Yeah. Exactly. Is it all over the country, I assume, New York, LA, yes. that kind yes. of thing? Yes,
4: definitely LA and New York are our strongholds, but we have events all over the country. And what Bing was saying, it's hard for us to have a meeting with Spotify, for example, and ANG say, we want to have 20 different musicians in the future. Sure, it's sure. like, can you give us three, right? And we get dozens of hundreds of applications for those three spots yep. and go yep. so deep, deep on them. And go deep. Yeah. It's hard. But to I think you were three. very yeah. clear
2: on the four
3: stage the four different pillars that you evaluate on that was very helpful the, the fourth I should have mentioned too that um, Jeremy's alluding to with the Daniels and Jonathan is character I i was
2: about to say character it's character so literally it's I was all four, four that word out.
3: yes because we how do I say this play we are, we are all around a lot of immensely powerful people who have gotten away with behavior that has always been unacceptable, but now is especially publicly unacceptable. Um, we have Unacceptable
2: but tolerated, and today we have it evolved is. to unaccepted. There's no reason to tolerate it. Correct. So it should have never been
3: Correct. tolerated. Because there's enough great people doing uh, yeah. great work, or yeah. good people doing great work. So unfortunately, there are quite a few of these people who come to us for support, and we don't support them because it's not the type of leader we need anymore. Because there yeah, is crazy. There is Daniels and John. 2023, we still get those. Kind of there's so many. That's people support. Everywhere.
2: So Bing, let's talk about the invite-only venture network. What we're talking about now already, and the multicultural board seat network. Yeah. How do Asians and other multicultural executives benefit from this? And if they're interested, how do they reach out to Goldhouse for that initiative?
3: We want to empower the next generation of executives to not only increase their wallet size by getting equity in the next great companies that are finding industry, but also just their public stature. A lot of C-suite executives say, I want to be on a public board. That's yeah. great. And absolutely do I that. I hear that a lot. Yeah, hundred percent. But there are steps to that. One does not just go on a public board tomorrow, there are different steps. One step is to be on the board of a private board, especially if a private board is called Pinterest pre-IPO and then IPOs, suddenly you look like a twice genius because you not only know how to scale a business, you have now done both sides. I'd
2: argue if you were on the board of the private P of the Pinterest prior to its launch in IPO. You're not going to want to go on a public board.
3: <laughs> it's a different person. Yeah. It's a different person's different sensibility. Um, but we basically want to have fluidity and sort of optionality, and this is across all industries. So it's CPG, it's fintech, it's SaaS, it's AI, it's ecom, etc. Uh, we actually just helped place a board director for one of the biggest. One could argue the biggest AI companies. And so which one was it? If you want I, to share, I, I cannot say because it, it hasn't gotcha. been announced. So I'll get in trouble. Gotcha. Um, but you guys can all get. And so um, the way that you get involved is you just email us or you come through our executive network. We partner up with so many other organizations. Both of the exchanges as well new york stock exchange and nasdaq uh, as well as several of the top multicultural funds so harlem capital BBG, Golden Seeds, gangels in addition to gold house ventures it's and all they have portfolio f- companies
2: that you actually exactly. have access to board seats on
3: that's exactly right and one of the exciting things about this is because we are now in a new generation of founders who don't just care about expertise they care about identity and socio cultural yep. yep. uplift at yep. once because you can have all of these things at once they look to us and say i'm actually looking for an Asian female founder who has built this specific thing on the board. They want that level of specificity. And because we are a trusted brand, because we have the largest leadership network, they, of course, come to us for this. The other benefit to executives is this is all free. We don't charge a cent for any of this. Why? Because we've already invested in the company, so we're incentivized to, to pull weight, even though our fund management teams profit goes back to the nonprofit, still incentivized. And second, we're here for the mission. We're trying to reverse that Harvard Business Review stat that we for some reason can't leave when we found 42% of the businesses in this country. And so that IPO. And so anyway, that's how they can get involved. Super easy. Gotcha. So that was the multicultural
2: board seat network. Correct. What about the invite-only venture network? That you is investing capital. What? Yeah. That so, is the capital. Yeah.
3: Opportunity. And both um, the applications are public. Um, the applications, to be honest, are more just so we have all the information about the sure, candidate. Sure. So we place people in the right way. But um, We basically have a lot of incredible fluid systems where you want to invest money, you can invest money alongside of us, that's great. You want to invest talent as a board director advisor, you can do that as well.
2: And is there, from a a financial
3: standpoint, if someone wants to invest, is there a starting threshold or anything of that sort? It depends on the company. They get to dictate terms we don't. Um, Sometimes the company will say, if it's three and you're incredibly strategically valuable, I'll take any size check. You could write $5,000, I want you, your name, your expertise, and that's enough. Gotcha. Other times there's a minimum.
2: So for people who want to be part of this network, the venture network, it really comes down to a match between a company and the individual who's seeking to be part of the venture network. That's right. Gotcha. Here on the CPG Guys, Jeremy, the last question is always, we call it fast forward. We actually have a Thursday podcast as well called CPG Guys Fast Forward. But the question I want to ask you is, clearly Goldhouse has accomplished a lot and is turning the tables for Asians in a positive direction in general here on the CPG Guys, we've said next Asian Pacific Heritage Month, y'all are going to find us, the guests from the CPG industry, retail, entertainment, Asian, so we can feature them here on the CPG Guys next APHM month. Uh, so given that a lot has been accomplished and a lot is moving, what's next for Goldhouse? Like what are you looking at when you draw a roadmap and say, this is what I want to see next, or this is what I want to see three years from now?
4: We announced this at our gala in May, and it's a phase we call Gold Bridge. I think that's where we're focused next, because we know we cannot just exist for ourselves. It's not the way the world works. Um, so we think about this in a few ways, and I'll let Bing elaborate on one Where of them. was the
2: gala, by the way, here in L.A.? or In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Angeles.
4: Um, and we, we think about this in a few ways. So one is to ensure that we are bridging different industries so we talked about this a lot already making sure we're not only in creative but also in venture-backed companies right thinking about ways to work and expand our work so for Goldhouse we've done a lot in film and TV have done a little bit more in music but now we're thinking about gaming thinking about sports representation you know far exceeds just film and TV Um, and then secondly I would say is that bridging different communities so Bing touched on this a little bit with our multicultural leadership coalition and board placements. What's unique about this is that it's not just Asians coming together to support Asian board placement, but we've worked thoughtfully and intentionally with the black community, you know, with other diverse groups as well to ensure that we're elevating people of color, broadly representation. Speaking. Exactly. And then lastly, I would say Gold Bridge is we're thinking about going back and, and, and creating uh, bridges with Asia itself. And that's something I think Big should speak to.
2: Gotcha. So let me ask you the exact same question he just pointed over to talk about the bridge. Fast forward, what's the bridge?
3: The third piece is the cross-continental bridge. Uh, we are stronger Hence at 5 billion. Bridge. Exactly. We're stronger at the biggest bridge across the biggest ocean. We're stronger if all 5 billion of us are uniting, if we're investing capital and time in each other and distributing each other's creators or companies. Uh, we know that this is not only a cultural imperative because... We want greater representation for our diaspora. This is a commercial imperative. Um, A disproportionate percentage of US-based multinational growth comes from, of course, the Asia continent. Even if you don't include China, you look at India, Created 50-plus unicorns in the last three years, more than in all of history. Population has now surmounted China's middle-class world in the next decade. And then you look at Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia boasts, per capita, the most engaged region in the world on social media most platforms, inclusive of Instagram and X, formerly known as Twitter. And then, of course, there's the behemoth of Korea that just exports all the incredible things that we all love, listen to, watch, and so forth there is an incredible commercial priority of building this bridge. And there is no ecosystem or apparatus that does it across all of our ethnicities or all of our industries in a way that is really, I think, next-gen and forward-looking. So we hope to be a very big part of that.
2: And then, just to take that one step further, when do you say mission accomplished?
3: You know the answer to that. We're all Asian, there's no such thing. So, there we come go. On, 100%. Well said. Be yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well
2: said, what a great way to close. So let me remind our audience you can find all of our content Simply go to a web browser and go to cpgguys.com. And of course, seven-day programming. If you think your company has some thought leadership to contribute to our community discussion, drop us a line at contact.cpgguys.com. And again, the email is contact.cpgguys.com. And maybe you can join us on the podcast, just like Jeremy and Bing did today. Don't forget to drop us a rating on cpgguys.com on the navigation bar at the top. You help create and shape the show. We appreciate those ratings because you tell us what topics to discuss. Thank you to all our LinkedIn followers. Without you, we don't exist. I really want to say thank you one more time. Pig and Jeremy, what a fun discussion. I've waited for this moment for for a long time. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. That's a wrap. We'll see you soon in another episode of the CPG Guys.